Welcome to Improv FAQ at Length. This is a series of longer conversations about improv topics that have lots of questions surrounding them. And we're so, so excited to have Dan Izzo joining us for this conversation. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey, guys. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Hey, James. So um, good to see you. So You as well, guys. Yeah. I, man, I, I feel like uh, I'm just so geeked to, to talk because um, on the topic of... Uh, improv topics that have lots of questions surrounding them. I feel like the Improv Inferno, which is a theater that you, you owned in Ann Arbor, um, is such a, a cool um, segment of Metro Detroit uh, improv history. And it's it's something that I missed out on. You know, I, I came into improv um, in 2009. So it was uh, shortly after... Um, Second City, Detroit, when after it had moved to Novi and then closed down, uh, Go Comedy was just getting started. Inferno had also closed down, um, and so I there's all this like these stories and these improvisers that I admire that um, uh, came up through those programs and those theaters, um, and it just makes me miss out on it. And I love to talk about it and hear about um, what what was going on before I got started with improv. So. Um, I was hoping that we could talk about the story of the Improv Inferno um, and uh, the unfortunately short amount of time that uh, it was up and running, um, and then talk about your philosophy, Dan, because you've also made uh, a, a huge impact on me as an improviser. Um, and uh, uh, it, on but, many of us, I mean, yeah, we, we've only been doing this, this these conversations for about two weeks, and your name has come up so many times. It, it, oh, yeah, well, thanks. You, you left a really great echo in the community, so. Yeah. Well, that's I good. We know that. At least I did something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool. So, so where where does the story of the Improv Inferno begin for you, Dan? You know, I, I just I want to do throw one caveat out there uh, about talking about the Inferno, yeah. uh, which is we we benefited we have benefited greatly over time from the James Dean effect. Uh, okay. You know, we were taken out early in our life before we had a chance to fuck anything up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. So there's like, everyone's like, oh, that place. It, was, uh, it burned like a bright comet and then it was gone. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's all right. You know. Uh, with uh, fit, fitting uh, for much, the improv much, inferno, right? It's just like, yeah. yeah. Much, much rather have that than like, all right, we're going into year 20 and uh, we've really lost the thread. Yeah. If only uh, you would have opened like Which the is not a slight plateau. at anybody. I think the people have been going for a while have been doing a great job of it. But yeah. yeah. But you don't get a chance uh, to, 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 hit that down curve or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. So. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was all up curve and explosion at the end. Yeah. So, uh, so do you know where it starts? Like, like, could you, could you uh, pinpoint where the beginning of it really is? Yeah. You know, uh, ironically, I was at a Christmas party, uh, in Chicago at a theater and, you know, I'd always thought about opening my own place, uh, just kind of for the DIY aspect of it. But at that particular Christmas party, I was like, yeah, this is what I want. I want to kind of build my own community. Because, you know, it was like one of those theater Christmas parties where everybody who's an improviser at that place was there. And I was like, yeah, I want to build that community somewhere. Uh, and like I said, I'd already kind of wanted to open a place. But that that was kind of the real impetus was like to get me off my butt and get me doing it. Okay. So for me, it was always about, you know, the thing I learned from being in Chicago, because I, you know, I improvised in Chicago for a while. Uh you know, I was, was I did Improv Olympic, I did Annoyance, I taught at the Annoyance, taught at Second City. Uh, 
taught at Columbia College. And the thing that I ultimately realized is the best way to have a career is to create a career for yourself. You know, if somebody won't cast you in a show, then come up with a show that you are the absolute perfect thing to be perfect person to be cast in that show uh, or your buddies, you know, so that's what, you know, really having a good ensemble uh, can really, you know, generate that kind of stuff. But really it was about like, okay, you know, I want to, I want to be the one who decides what goes up on stage. I want to decide what type of tone we're having. I want to decide, you know, what the schedule is. There's just a lot of like, you know, artistic decisions that I wanted to make that you can only make if you own the entire place. And what were some of those things that, that uh, like, when you first started thinking of what you wanted out of a theater for yourself um, and the types of things that you could only do if you had a theater, what were some of those things, if you remember? Yeah, you know, a lot of it really is is just being able to kind of layer a philosophy into an entire institution. Uh, you know, when I was teaching at Second City, it was great. I mean, I loved it. I, I got to work with some fabulous people there. Uh but at the end of the day, there was kind of a, an expectation of here's how we teach our classes. Here's what's important to us. Here's what's not important to us. Here's messages we want to concentrate on. Here's messages we want to stay away from. Uh, and so for me, it was like, I've just got this, you know, despite my nerdish looks here, I, you know, I do have kind of a punk rock aesthetic where I'm like, let's just do it ourselves. You know, let's just DIY it and figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and so it was things like, you know, being able to take my friends and elevate them, being able to take, you know, the improvisers around me and, and have a chance to elevate them. Uh, you know, and again, I've got a particular style and a particular eye towards improv. And so the people who I thought were awesome were not always the ones that everybody else thought were awesome. Uh, and so owning my own place got me to be able to kind of craft a style of improv, even if it was for a short period of time. Yeah. And then so. Uh, you, you came up, you said, uh, you said you went through IO second city and, uh, annoyance, correct? Yep. And, um, th- those are a really, it's obviously a really great, um, combination of schools. Um, I feel like annoyance is probably the one that might've resonated with you the most. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the annoyance, I mean, you, hats off to Mick Napier, you know, uh, and Joe Bill and Mark Sutton and all the folks who taught me over at the annoyance and worked with me ultimately at the annoyance. Uh, the thing I'll give you, I'll give you a good story. All right. Okay. I, I normally right. have to have a few drinks in me for me to start storying, but here we go. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I was taken, I was taken second city and. I feel like I was taking all three at one time or maybe taking now I was taking IO and annoyance pretty close to the same time. And we went in for the first day of level two at, at, uh, at IO and the, <clears throat> and the instructor came in and he right away, he said, you know, I'm just going to tell you guys right now, I'm the best improviser here in the entire class. Like I'm better at improv than any of you guys. And then I went to my annoyance class the next day and the next day was like Joe Bill being like, man, just enjoy yourself and then explore your own creativity and believe in yourself and trust in yourself. Do whatever the fuck you want. And it's like you could not have a more contrasting style of philosophy, which is, you know, on one hand and again, different strokes for different folks. But on one hand, I.O. was very much like we've created a formula. Let's plug into that particular formula 
we've created a philosophy. Let's plug into that philosophy. And the annoyance was much more like, fuck it, what you got? Yeah. Uh, they're like, they're and like that just appealed to me. About, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, all right, if you can play, play. You know, we're, we're not about hierarchies. We're not about structures, although everything ends up with a hierarchy and a structure. Uh, but we're really more about like, Let's just have fun. Let's if we like being around each other, then let's be around each other and let's do creative things around each other. So all of a sudden my creativity and my thought around improv went from how do I comply with everything, you know, how do I kind of mold myself into the box they're looking to fit me into and it and it flipped to how do I just get out of my way so that I can let my creativity flow and get in touch with my, you know, my core of creativity. So that, that's interesting because like most uh, second city type learning experiences and students in those experiences do the same, the same learning curve, but you happen to do it at the same time. Like you had like more of a sure. Venn diagram than like a learning curve. Like, cause I had the same thing. Cause you, you start, you start taking these classes and Oh, here are the rules. No questions. No, this, no, this, no, this. And you got this checklist in your head when you're trying to play. And how can you call that play when you got a checklist? You know, someone's telling you how to do the thing. So I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, to a certain extent, even teaching at Columbia, you know, which kind of forced me to get back in touch with like the Viola Spolin roots and that kind of stuff. Because, uh, you know, I took over at Columbia College for Martin DeMott. Uh, oh, wow. Who unfortunately, had, yeah, he had fortunately had passed. He was sick and then passed away. Uh, and when he was sick, he was couldn't teach his classes, and they reached out to me, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to teach college?" And I'm like, "I guess." Uh, <laughs> and so I really, you know, tried to honor Martin by kind of going back into the Spolin work. And when you look at all that early improv work, so much of it is just founded in pure play, and you know, yeah. just trying to take kids who are kind of messed up and not feeling like they can express themselves, and just giving them the freedom to express themselves. You know, yes, and was originally an exercise, not a rule. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. And so it was it was fun to kind of get back to that and see where that all comes from, you know. Uh Yeah, I I didn't realize. But yeah, it's that's, that's that's uh I that's I mean, yeah, uh Martin Demott is is a legend of the improv community and I I uh didn't realize that 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 was part of your story as well as um taking over when he passed. Yeah. I ended up naming my middle son after Martin. I got a son Martin. So Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, heavy, yeah. heavy. Yeah. You guys want to light yeah. shit? I'm talking right. about dead yeah. guys. No, no, this is what we want. Um, but so, so when, uh, so so you've been in Chicago. You've had all these great um, opportunities to develop your voice, and um, you, you realize that what you particularly want out of improv is something that is not strictly in alignment with with any of the theaters, um, or or that you would at least rather uh, try to make a go of your own way. And, um, so, uh, moving back to Michigan and, uh, starting to scout out places in Ann Arbor, um, what was the thought process or the experience for you? Like at that point when you're like, okay, going to head home and I'm going to start looking for a place to put a theater. Sure. Although to be clear, I, uh, I'm actually from Chicago originally. Oh shit. So Ann Arbor, no, that's cool. Uh, I don't have you. I don't expect you've memorized my biography. Uh, <laughs> but so, you know, so go ahead. So in Chicago, I was I, I really, you know, I was teaching a lot and making decent money off teaching. I was, you know, doing some improvising and nobody makes money off of really improvising. Uh, I was doing I was doing some directing and you can make a little bit of money off directing. But at the end of the day, 
if you're going to try to have like your career revolve around improv, you, you kind of have two, three paths at the most to pursue. You know, one is as a straight up actor, you know, and again, the, the improv actor thing, there's not a lot of money in being a pure improv actor. You know, there's money in being an actor, but to just be an improviser, it's like the most money you're going to make is on second city. And by that point, you're not really doing improv anymore. You're doing sketch comedy, uh, directing. Obviously you make some money there. Uh, teaching of, I left that one out. You make money there, uh, producing where you kind of like, you know, all right, we're going to rent out a barn. We're going to paint up some sets. That's where you can actually make some money. Yeah. Uh, it takes an investment of money, but that can be really where you make some money. So I'd hit a point where it was like half the time I was teaching improv or probably two thirds of my life. I was teaching improv. The other third, I was still working my law practice because uh, I was a lawyer back then. And I just I got to a point where I was like, I need to just put everything under one roof. I want to, like, make my money off of what I love. And what I love is comedy. What I love is improv. What I love is like what I really love is like seeing those people open, seeing those people blossom. You know, that really, like, once I started teaching, that's when I was like, oh, this is my jam, is, like, taking people and elevating them. You know, I never had any, I'm, I never quite expected that I, that I was going to go too far as an improv actor. I mean, the closest I got was Jason Sudeikis and I both got shortlisted to be on the shortlist at the same time. Uh, <laughs> so that was, you know, uh and I did. I was one. Of, I did get an audition back in Chicago before they started. Uh, Whose line is it anyway? There were like twenty of us who auditioned for that as a big group ensemble. So that was pretty cool. Cool. Uh, obviously, did not get it. Uh, <laughs> but what an experience, man! That's gotta. Yeah. That's gotta be wild. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. It was crazy stuff. You know. Uh, th- yeah. That, so that, that would be like when they were looking to, to do the American version. So you knew that it existed. Yeah. So like, is that the kind of thing where you knew the like. The, the how big the opportunity was and like was there a lot of buzz around that audition happening there was definitely a lot of buzz around it but the mistake that they made was originally they came into town uh, and i don't want to get too far off on the story but originally they came into town and just hired straight up casting directors and so the casting oh. directors sent over all their comedic actors oh gotcha and the in the whose line people were like, these are not good. Like how is Chicago so awesome for improvisers? And this is the best we can get. So Mick and Kelly uh, Leonard from uh, at least my understanding of it, it's been 20 some odd years now, probably uh, Mick and Kelly got together and put together a short list of 20 people that they thought they should take a look at. Uh, And then they took a look at us and half of us got sent home after lunch. And I was in the go home after lunch crowd, but it was <laughs> That's still cool. You know, man. yeah, yeah you made the cool. top twenty. That's cool. dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but okay. So so um yeah. So you're you're at the point where you're kind of like hitting um a limit with what you want to get out of where you're at, or or where you feel like you can fully uh, apply the things you want, and, you, and so you yeah. start looking at Michigan and Arbor specifically first for the theater, or did you kind of like think of some other places that you might set up shop so i knew if i once i got out of kind of the really hip areas you know basically once you get out of your new york get out of your la get out of your chicago uh you've got to put you've got to put long form into some sort of context for people to kind of get it uh i don't know that that's still true but i you know back then it certainly was uh and the best context for that was whose line is it anyway and comedy sports and so I took a look at comedy sports and look at their franchise model. And I almost bought a comedy sports franchise at one point. 
Uh, but again, I wanted more freedom. Uh, but I realized that comedy sports had done really well when they positioned themselves in college towns uh, because they were able to kind of continually uh, crank through students. You know, they always had new yeah, young yeah, kids yeah. coming into town excited and they had the added bonus of those kids would leave, you know, so you never had this kind of like buildup of talent that was kind of blocking the way for your students to progress. Uh, and so I was like, all right, you know, Madison, Wisconsin could be a good place, you know, and then I was, so I looked at Madison, Wisconsin, looked at Ann Arbor and decided Ann Arbor was really kind of the call. Uh, it didn't hurt that my wife had family ties to the area, you know, so that we knew that we could, you know, rely on family if we came here, but at the end of the day, you know, I felt more comfortable coming here than going to Wisconsin. Uh, and so that's, yeah, I ended up picking Ann Arbor and that's how, that's how we got started. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, that's, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's, it's smart thinking to, um, well, first of all, I, I feel like colleges are really interesting, um, for that, for that fact, right? Because like, uh, uh, the the mm-hmm. turnover is a good thing and a bad thing, and then also you know college. If you're planning to have a bar in the theater, um, college students hanging out don't kind of like keep your lifeblood going the same way that uh, adult ass uh, improvisers can for a, a theater with a bar. Sure, in it. adult um, ass improviser. But yeah, but I, I really I really like. <laughs> Get out of here, kids. Something about that. I love Can't even have a drink. Get your adult ass out of here. Bars uh, young broke, bro- I, like, look, man. I, as a broke ass college kid, I was, I was never gonna help right. anybody's business thrive, like by just being around. I got no money to spend. But um, sure, but college students love doing things like volunteering. Yeah, like, yeah Hey, yeah. go hand out flyers. Hey, wear our T-shirt. Hey, now you're in this cool club. Yeah, you in know. it for the experience. At the end of the day, I ended up not really benefiting from the college students in uh, in Ann Arbor, except very tangentially because. I ended up coaching the University of Michigan, one of the University of Michigan improv groups. Okay. Uh, and a bunch of those folks went on to be on main stage in, in Second City in Chicago. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like uh, like John Hartman. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember who else. I'm, I'm blanking now. Mur- uh, Murdoch, Jeff Murdoch. Uh, I want to say Dan Schwartz. Okay, cool. You know, although I think I'm messing yeah. up his last name. But uh, uh, okay, so but that, that's the thinking is is that you kind of want to tap into the college community, and I mean Ann Arbor is like a really happening place for a lot of things, arts and culture anyway. So um, there's a lot of reasons to set up a theater there. But um, uh, so y- you set up, you find a place. Um, tell me about the, the the physical space that you found. Where was it in in Ann Arbor? We were right downtown in Ann Arbor. Uh, so there's really kind of like two, although now probably three centers to Ann Arbor. There's one that's like the traditional right downtown. There's kind of an, a downtown that's on campus. And then there's like a newer kind of area that's forming a little bit out west from downtown, uh, which is where Pointless. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're called Pointless. I can never yeah. remember the yeah. full name, but Pointless is Pointless Theater Company. Uh, uh, yeah, they're doing their work out in that kind of brewery. western part of downtown. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh so our place was a was a bowling alley of a place. It had been a jazz club for a while. It had been a bunch of different things. Right before we moved into it, it was going to be a hockey-themed bar. So, like, when you were standing on the floor, like, the walls were painted white as if you were standing on the ice, and they had, like, a red chair rail around and all that stuff. So, uh, Okay. 
And so, yeah, I mean, the the, the big challenge we had there was it, it was a huge space, but it was a narrow space. And so people would have to walk yeah. past the stage to go to the bathroom. That was a classic one. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> you couldn't that. get that many chairs in front of the seat. It, like the the most chairs you got were to were to stage right. Okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, so so it was. But we had a downstairs. We had a huge basement downstairs, and you know, so we were able to teach classes upstairs in the basement. And you know, we had just that kind of hangout space afterwards where. You know, people would be sitting around till one, two, three, four in the morning. You know, shooting the shit, talking about improv. Cool. What? what so, what were some of the the, the shows first shows that you launched with? So, again, knowing that you had to have some sort of like game context around it, or not that you had to, but I really felt like, all right, I want to take the kind of the comedy sports, you know, game show format, and I want to try to elevate it. I want to try to like elevate it by bringing like a long form sensibility to it. I think the problem with your short form shows is they focus a lot on rule explanations and the get, like, what are they getting from the audience? Uh, and kind of, there's a lot of like focusing on compliance, like, Oh, you said four words instead of three. And that's, right. yeah, I mean, that's all legit when you're playing a game. Uh, but I wanted the rehearsals and the focus to be bringing integrity to the scenes, bringing character to the scenes, more so than are you really good at the three to five word game? Yeah. Uh, and so knowing that I had to have that, I kind of started throwing some ideas together, you know, for a show. Uh, and I originally had this idea for like a, uh, like a team based show again, like comedy sports where there's gonna be like a team from heaven and a team from hell, you know? Okay. And I was like, all right. Yeah. And I also, there had been this show, uh, uh, remote control on MTV back in the eighties. Yes, that was like yeah. a really fun game show. Shore, had like, I think, yeah, they had a yeah. big board with weird questions and I was like, that's cool. I want to rip that kind of thing off. Uh, you know, so I ended up getting away from the team thing, but the heaven hell kind of thing kind of stuck around in the theme of the improv inferno. Uh, you know, everybody knows I've got like a fire tattoo. So that kind of drove me towards the improv, the Inferno name. And really, like I had a buddy in Boston who started a place called Improv, improv Asylum. You know, you had Improv Olympic. So I was like, all right, you know, if you improv plus a, a destination yeah. is, you know, going to get you right. what you need. So <laughs> Improv Inferno seemed to work. Uh, so but the funny thing was like. I really didn't have the Improv Inferno name until, you know, until we really made the move to Michigan up until then. Uh, I was really just focusing on creating the show so that we could have this kind of like core game show going on. Okay. Uh, and that's when I came up with the damnation game, which is what I ended up calling it. I don't know why the damnation game, like why that name is stuck in my head or phrase stuck in my head. I only realized like much later that it's like a Clive Barker novel that I had read a long time ago. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I thought damnation game just meant something to people. And it's like, no, only the people who have read a Clive Barker novel. So, <laughs> yeah. But well, the idea I mean, was yeah. was like well, you play I mean, the game and and like you're gonna the improvisers are gonna play the game and you know as bad things happen they're gonna be damned you know like they're gonna okay. things are gonna get progressively yeah. harder. That's you know funny. we eventually got like away from place. that. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah. 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 Earning, yeah. earning points uh, to go to the good place or bad place. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at one time. point I wanted to have like uncomfortable sh chairs for the hell side and comfy chairs <laughs> for the heaven side and all sorts of grand visions there. Uh, oh, that's cool. Uh, okay, but 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 and and it's a game show and um Yeah, so what I did was I I 
I developed that. I produced that game show in Chicago. I rented a space and we ran the game show for about two months. That let me kind of like work out the kinks. You know, I mean, we obviously had a long rehearsal process going into it. Had a great cast there. Uh, we went into kind of a rehearsal process. And then with the shows, it just really let us work out all the kinks and bugs with regard to the show. Okay. Uh, Dan, I hate and to do this to we, you. What's but, that? Uh, I'm sorry, Bob. Can, 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 uh, like, can you drop, name drop some of the people in the cast? Because I think some of the people who are listening to this aren't familiar with who started in Ann Arbor. You know, oh, yeah. Like my Ann Arbor. I mean, I, I originally had a cast in Chicago that, you know, those folks are all like out in L.A. and New York now and stuff. Uh, and they were a great group of people. Uh, unfortunately, one of them's gotten big into QAnon, so that's sad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, improvisers are weird. <laughs> we're weird. We're a weird and cowardly lot. Uh, <laughs> so my first cast in Michigan here was, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to remember all the names, uh, Mike McGettigan, yeah. uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Vickers, uh, Kara Troutman, uh, Johnny Victor, uh, Brian Hatch, Joe Davis, uh, Nick Smith was which uh, was with us for a very small period of time, but he was in the original cast. I'm trying to remember who else I had. I know I'm leaving somebody out. Mark Soboleski. I did not. Wa- I do not want to leave Mark out because he was fantastic. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember the name of my original prize girl that I had. I can't remember her name, unfortunately. It's. I mean, was like, it Katie or? No, Katie came along much later, you know. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Mike and Lauren and, uh, you know, Kara. Uh, yeah. You know, I ended, I held auditions in, without even having the theater, I held auditions. I just rented a space at University of Michigan, came down, held auditions. Okay. Uh, and we had everybody, I mean, Second City had closed, so we had everybody audition for us. Uh, you know, I mean, like people who had just been on the cast of Second City. Uh, including guys like PJ, you know, PJ auditioned for us. Well, how am I forgetting Chris D'Angelo was part of the original cast? That's an asshole move on my part. Because uh, <laughs> Chris was fantastic, and he really he's, he really grew into himself over the years uh, in a lot of ways. That's, uh, a, that's an amazing team. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Think about what all people. these people are doing now. Like, wow. Like, yeah. These are some of the – yeah. yeah well, the you know, again, I think if you yeah. find the right people and you give them – you give them a a bit of a philosophy and a lot of freedom, like the the creative people all of a sudden get real creative. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so yeah, we really like that that original cast. Uh, so the damnation game was kind of the centerpiece show, and we were doing that original when we opened. We were doing it Friday and Saturday two times. Okay. Uh, by the end, we were kind of running different shows at the eight o'clock slot and just letting the damnation game be at 10. Uh, and then the other kind of show that was a permanent fixture was the X show, uh, which was basically just our like midnight, you know, I don't want to say fuck around, but our midnight crazy, dirty, go nuts show, you know? Okay. Uh, I never like to think of improv as being sloppy or loose. I mean, Improv can be sloppy and loose. I just think you're doing a disservice to yourself and the audience if you don't treat it seriously. You know? So, like, I used to do this thing in Chicago called Improv Fight Club, uh, which I shouldn't be talking about. Uh, But the idea was, like, we would get all these improvisers in an abandoned space on, like, Wednesday nights at, like, 11. And everybody had to perform. So there was no audience. 
But the rule was like, if you were off stage, you had to behave like an audience. And if you were on stage, you had to play like there was an audience there. Because oh, I think wow. once you, what you start seeing in some middle age improvisers, you know, people have been doing it for a couple of years of taking classes a few places is they can get they can start getting lazy and getting into bits and just kind of phoning it in a little bit, like relying on what works. Uh, yeah. And so, like, the whole point with the X show was to kind of push the boundary, you know, to get us out of our comfort zones, to get us into a place where we're, you know, really connecting with a lot of raw energy, a lot of raw emotion. You know, and so by okay. taking the censorship lid off of that for the midnight show, that really allowed that to blossom. Yeah, so so it's uh, it, it might be a little messy, but it's it's kind of it's because you're you're pushing and challenging yourselves to do to make risky, bold moves um, outside of your comfort zones. Absolutely, yeah. If, it's if not messy like for, because we don't give a fuck. It's messy because yeah. we're really giving a fuck. Yeah, I love if that. It's got a mission statement to it. Yeah, yeah. If we're lack of a better term, it's like. I don't want I don't want to call it a rehearsal, but I can't think of another word to call it a rehearsal in the sense that everybody's like learning how each other plays and actually put like rehearsing for yourself too, like pushing yourself like, oh, I can't do my my go. Like you said, my go to bit because these are all my friends. They've seen all my old shit. Time to time to step it up a notch. I, I love that challenge. That's amazing. Yeah, I always wanted I always wanted that extra to have kind of an underground feel to it, you know, where it's like. Okay, now that the audience has gone home, now let's really like, you know, now let's really fight. You know, we put on mom the and dead are in, mom and dead are in bed. Time to play, kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, we put on the clean show. Now let's take the gloves off and beat the shit out of each other. I love it. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to derail if we, if we were going to uh, keep building on the show path, but I, I do want to just say I'm now talking about this philosophy and play style interested in like what you were leading with as a uh, teaching philosophy for your class program like what were what were you um what was the design for your training program in the inferno so you know definitely stood on the shoulders of giants there uh you know in terms of just you know borrowing a lot of the spolen exercises borrowing a lot of the second city exercises uh originally i taught the intro class and then eventually turned the intro class over to my wife uh trish who is an improviser in her own right uh and and I also should mention she was part of our original cast. I'm I was just forgetting. thinking that. I didn't want to call you out. Yeah. I was just thinking that. Because yeah. I think she was the first person to ever play for me when I, when I used to come watch. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but really what I, what I told all my teachers, and it was something I learned directly from Martin, was you should try to have your students have a success every day. You know, every day they should have one moment that you point out to them where they were successful. You know? even if you've got to bend over backwards to find that point, because everybody has done something right that you can focus on that right thing, you know? And that was my thing is like, if you can find the good thing that they're doing and just focus on that, you can water that good thing without having to like pull the weeds by saying, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't next time. Don't next time. Don't instead of saying, instead you start saying things like lean into that a little more, go farther with that, push that harder. That was great. Hold on to it. Don't let it go so quick. You know? Yeah. You're, I'm saying don't there, but it's more of a, not you're doing wrong. It's like, man, you were doing great. And then you bailed on yourself. Yeah, like, yeah. so trust yourself. Like you're fucking brilliant. Keep pushing. Don't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think that that's um, I, something that is uniquely you, Dan, which which is your ability to 
uh, be you're you, you're like an aggressive player. You're you're uh, you know you're kind of no censorship, no taboo, and so there's this uh, kind of um, you know I, I don't I don't know it, it, you I would guess that somebody like that would be more um, like no fuck around like you know. Uh, that that would be the way that they teach too, but you're you're such a nurturing uh, teacher, and it, your style is really about um, uh, empathy and um, building people's successes on a very core level. Um, uh, and I think that that's that's a very cool thing to to, to have those two sides that you can uh, tap into. I think that that is something that really shapes um, your philosophy and style, in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really, I tell my kids this all the time. Uh, the world does a good enough job of beating you up. You don't have to beat yourself up, right? The world will take care of that for you. Uh, and it's the same thing when it comes to improv, right? You know, like try not to beat yourself up. You know, the audience will take care of that for you. Your coaches will take care of that for you. Although again, they shouldn't be beating you up, but it's like, find what your find your core and start speaking to your core and believe in your core. You know, find your creativity and believe in it. Uh, now, you know, obviously that's not accessible or successful for everybody. Uh, you know, so it, it's not like it's some sort of universal cure for, you know, bad improv. There's still plenty of that sure. out there. Yeah. But it couldn't hurt to try, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you love yourself and your I mean, show. <laughs> if you spend most of your life doing it the other way, beating yourself up, why not try something new and give yourself some love? Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you go back to the notion that all this really is an extended form of play, uh, and you think about a bunch of kids, if you said to a bunch of kids, play cops and robbers, the, the most discussion they would have would be over who's who. They would never ask you what the rules are. How do I play this game right? What? How do I play this game wrong? Like, they would just play, you know? Yeah. And that's what I try to get into every improviser I ever work with is just play. You know, if you can just find that source of play within yourself, you're going to do a much better job connecting to your emotional center, connecting to your scene partner's emotional center. Your awareness will be heightened, and you'll be in this kind of, like, really good space. Yeah. Um. And and you were saying that that you you started with um, you got Volan uh, sorry Spolin um, so you're starting with short form in the curriculum um, or were you mixing in long form as well? A little bit of both. Uh, you know, one of the exercises I like getting into a into a class early on, which is more of a more of a long form exercise than it is a short form exercise. Uh, you know, because if you look at a basic like level a or intro to improv kind of curriculum chock full of games lots of yeah. games uh yeah. and part of that philosophy is just getting people comfortable being on stage uh but the one that i would always make sure to drop in and i would drop it in like really early like first or second class would be this kind of like i would do countdown scenes so i'd say like all right we're gonna do a bunch of scenes that are a minute long uh and everybody's gonna do at least one or two of them and then we're gonna do a bunch of scenes that are 30 seconds long you know, and I wouldn't preview it. I would just say, all right, let's do some scenes. These are going to be a minute long. You know, okay, remember these ones that you've just seen. Now let's do some scenes that are 30 seconds long. All right, remember those. Now 15, now five. And what that makes all improvisers hopefully realize, but especially like it, it becomes this real aha moment to beginning improvisers is, hey, that scene starts the second that scene starts. Like 
I got to be ready to go yeah. then. I got to be at 100% at that moment. And they start to realize that it's just flipping a switch, that you just make a choice to be fully present right then and there. You don't think it, you just make the choice to do it. Uh, because if you've only got five seconds, man, you got to commit. Uh, and ironically, like when you do that exercise uh, with almost any group of improvisers, the 15 second scenes are the best. The 30s are pretty good. And the ones, they wander. They wander, wander, wander because they, oh, I've got time to get around to yeah. that. And it's like, yeah, you got time to get around to that. But I mean, like, look at any action movie. It starts with some guy getting shot in the face. Like, there's not, a, it's not like, oh, we let's go to the gun store. This, yeah. Let's pick yeah, up our bullets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, boom, we got you go. in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to describe it to my Columbia students as like with your first line of the scene, it's almost like you're taking a boulder, tying it to your leg and throwing that boulder and just letting that carry you the rest of the way, you know, just like let that momentum of that first thing just carry you all the way through the scene. Um, And and how, I mean, how long was the program because like, or what was the uh, training program meant to be? Because uh, what was the, what was the full life of the theater? Uh, How long? from open, opening to closing the Inferno? Uh, we opened in September of uh, 2004, and we closed in September of 2006. Okay. Uh, we did run kind of shows afterwards at another space for about a year. Yeah. Uh, and I really got to hand it to Chris D'Angelo because uh, him and Katie Thomas both uh, took kind of the laboring oar in making that happen. Uh, you know, when we lost the physical space, my son had just been born. I kind of was at the point where I had to go back and get a real job for the first time in 10 years. Uh, I was, I was not, I had, no, I had lost my smile, so to speak. I was not, yeah. I was not in a position to keep the place going for another year, but we did have the opportunity. And, you know, I was like, all right, Chris, let's make this work. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, like the core of Improv Inferno was 2004 to 2006. It was almost exactly two years. Okay. Um, and so, oh. so, so during that time, were you able to, to do a full run of a, of a program to like, uh, there were people that graduated the Inferno program. How long was the course? Yeah. So we did, a, we did a six week class cycle. Cause I always found like eight weeks was a little too long. Okay. Uh, I also kept the classes down to two hours just so that you're not trying to jam filler into them. Gotcha. Uh, and so, you know, you, we had three levels essentially, you know, you had beginner, intermediate, intermediate and advanced. Uh, which is what we had at the annoyance. You know, there were just the three levels. Okay. Uh, at the annoyance, and uh, you know, I think to a certain extent, to our place, and this is sometimes to your to your detriment. Like those classes were like people were oriented around people as opposed to like called beginner, mini, middle, or end. You know, like at the annoyance, it was like, oh, if you're just starting, take Mark's class. Oh, if you've been doing it for a while, take Joe Bill's class. If you like, yeah. been doing it for a long time, take Mick's class. They never, we never really referred to it as beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Uh, and really, there was very few people who jumped right into mixed class. Like you had, yeah, it moves that whole beating yourself up because you know people get that freshman uh, mentality. Like uh, I just started, you know, like, yeah. I, I like that like, as a philosophy. Yeah. Cool. So we ended up running about. I mean, we ran the beginner class at least a good six times over the two years. Okay. Uh, you know, and I and I think we really ran the whole program probably a total of five times. We probably had five iterations of it. You know, because you're just starting them one after the other. And I'm I'm sure you had time to um, 
so two questions that I have to just kind of open it up because before we talk about the uh, unfortunate ending of, of the Inferno, I just want to talk about like what were the highlights for you, Dan, in the time that it was up and running? Like what were some of the biggest successes uh, just in the show or the community and um, being able to build up the things that you were looking forward to and having a theater? One of the things I really like, one of the one of the sparkling moments for me, and there's a there's a bunch. I mean, and honestly, like even though it was only two years, like everyone can kiss my ass because there's all these people who didn't do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. All these guys yeah. who never like talked a good game and never started their own place. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I did it. It burned up. It cost me several thousand, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, but fuck, I did it. Uh, and so I always look at it as a positive thing, even though it was oh, yeah. kind of brief. Uh, so my main partner at the thing, other than my wife, was my friend uh, Sabrina, who is now down in New Orleans. Uh, and we had we came up through Second City together and did Annoyance together. And she was more of a writer. You know, I'm more of like an improver, improviser, director type, and she she likes writing. And so unbeknownst to me, she kind of was like, she got Lauren and Trish and and a few of the other women involved in the Inferno. Uh, Christy Bonstell, I believe, was involved in it at that point. Uh, and they wrote a show. They did a sketch show of, like, women's sketches. And so before I know it, Sabrina's like, hey, we've got this sketch show ready to go. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, let's nuke the Thursday uh, 10 p.m. show and you guys can have that slot. And so they ran it there for a little bit. It was called The Ladies Show. Uh, and then we ended up, it was doing so good. I was like, man, let's just have this be the primetime show. You know, like, let's give this the 8 o'clock Friday, Saturday slot. Because uh, it's good material. It's accessible to people. People are loving it. You know, you, you ladies have worked real hard to make a great show. So, you know, just seeing that kind of show spontaneously create itself was fantastic. Uh there was another show that kind of spontaneously created itself that, you know, Brian Hatch got going and PJ uh, and Eric. Uh, what's Eric's last name? Heiler? Heiler? Eric Heiler. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, they all want. They, <laughs> when they, he did that, it made sense. Huh? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, Eric. <laughs> and honestly, like, th that's no slight to anybody whose names no. I'm forgetting or terrible with. Like, I'm, I'm 52. I've done a lot of brain damage to myself. Man, what? 12 uh, years, Dan. It's, it's been a long life. <laughs> uh, but they got they got that show up. They, uh, 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 sorry, it was uh, PJ, Eric, and... Um, yeah, they did this. They wanted to do a rap show, so we ended up doing this, like, oh, wrap yeah. it up late night. Yeah. And the thing I, I loved that. about that was when you're talking about guys like Brian and Eric, especially at that point in their careers, uh, like... These were guys who probably nobody else would have said, yeah, you can have a slot and you can have a dedicated weekly slot, you know, go nuts with it, guys. You know, I understand what you're trying to do. Let's make that happen. Uh, and so that was a real highlight. Uh, the other two things, uh, you know, we did do stand up on Sunday nights. We had an open mic stand up on Sunday night. That was purely yeah. an economic move uh, to just try to capture some additional drinks and that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. capture an additional crowd, you know, get us exposed to the. You know, because there was a stand-up club in town, so I wanted to kind of steal a little of their audience. Uh, but one night, uh, uh, Pat Oswald, Eugene Merman, and Brian Posen uh, all came in. Uh, they had done a show in uh, in Detroit on Saturday, and we're doing a show in Ann Arbor on Monday. 
And so they just wandered into our open mic on Sunday and, you know, Pat Oswald went up and did like five minutes at the open mic. Wow. It was crazy. You know, <laughs> that's incredible. And then we had the guys, that's, we had the guys so from the 313 cool. come and perform for us a couple of times, which is, you know, Keegan, Michael Key, uh, you know, all those big Detroiter folks yeah. out there, yeah. uh, you know, Larry Campbell, uh, Josh the Funks. Funk. Oh, yeah. 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 The Funks. Mark yeah. Jackson. Uh, Mark, ja- Mark Evan Jackson. Yeah. Mary Beth Monroe. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it was... So so 313 crowd was already out in L.A., and they were already 313 doing their thing out there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then I ran into them when I first moved to town. Like, literally the first night I went out in town here, uh, I went to an improv show, and they were there. And, you know, I started talking to them. They're like, you have your own place? I'm like, yeah, you guys should come perform. Like, well, let's make that happen. And we made it happen. (laughs) So uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it was that was pretty cool. Uh, And then, you know... Really near the end, it was pretty cool because I got a chance to direct uh, Eye Candy, which was the group with PJ, Chris, Adam Peacock, uh, and Tim Robinson. Uh, mm-hmm. And so to have a chance to work with Tim Robinson was flipping great. Uh, yeah. You know, you talk about a guy who is, who's willing to take direction and is really committed to getting better all the time. Like, that's Tim in a nutshell. Uh same thing with Sam. I worked with Sam for a little bit. Uh, we were on a show together. Uh, we did this improvised superhero show that Sam and I were oh. in together. Yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. You guys used to dress uh, up as superheroes and everything. That was, yeah. oh my God, yeah. that was so, was so cool. stupid. Yes. Yes. It was awesome. Uh, I love it. <laughs> but, but Sam could not have been a more giving person. You know, Sam could not have been a better person. So, um, yeah, so those yeah. were the highlights where the people I got to work oh. with, but also seeing seeing if I gave people freedom and creativity, seeing what they came up with. And they yeah. came up with some great stuff. Well, there was also the MILF, which I was my first festival. Yes. <laughs> and it was yes. so much fun. My, my first improv festival. That was that was all Dan. Yeah. I mean, I could do an entire podcast for you on the business of it and how to make your theater run better. But I mean, two of the things that I quickly will say drink specials. And an improv festival. Hell yeah. Uh, until we put a card on the table and PJ grabbed, I told PJ this when he was starting to go, because PJ and I sat down, I sat down with PJ, Chris and Tommy, and we had a conversation. I was like, great drink specials, guys. Because uh, the day we put drink specials on the table, we started selling $8 chocolate martinis. Like, and we couldn't keep, we couldn't keep the chocolate vodka stocked, you know? <laughs> so the six months before that, we sold one bottle of chocolate, you know, stuff, uh, after we did the drink specials, we s- were selling six bottles a day, yeah. I mean, six bottles a week. So echo comedy drink we specials had, uh, and an improv festival. Yeah. Those are, that's what you need to survive. Nutella teenies uh, during the uh, holiday season fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so let me ask you about um, where Inferno <clears throat> comes to a close because I, I, as as far as I know, haven't heard the story a couple times. It's really something that was uh, out of your control with the landlord. Is that right? That's right. Uh, and it's, it, it, you know, and, and much love to the pointless people. But when they first got going, there was a reference in their press release or something where like, oh, yeah, we had talked to the Improv Inferno people. And I guess they closed because there was some sort of management dispute. And I was like, uh, you never talked to me. And we did not close because of a management dispute. But other than that, <laughs> best of luck, fellas. Uh, <laughs> but what really happened was uh, I, I did not do enough research on our landlord. Uh, and our landlord kind of has owned a bunch of properties on main street in, uh, Ann Arbor. Uh, he's dead now. So I don't have to worry about him suing me for libel. Uh, 
But basically what he did was he he was kind of in this own and hold position where he would hold these properties. If somebody came along and wanted to rent them out for a couple of years, he'd do that. But then he didn't want anyone renting it for too long because then his taxes would go up. You know, because now he's having to pay taxes on the rent. He's having to pay a higher, oh. a higher property taxes because now the property's being used. So, you know, I talked about earlier how we had a hockey place. Well, that's why the hockey place never opened. He never gave him a chance to open. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, you guys can open. And then it's like, you know, so because if you let it sit too long, then they get mad at you. You know, the town fathers get mad at you. But he had this. Yeah. He had this pattern of basically just recycling places. Gotcha. Uh, and so we were getting near the end of the second year and we had a two year lease. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I, I, you guys are doing great here. And we were doing great. You know, we had introduced the drink specials. We had the festival, yada, yada. Uh, he's like, yeah, I want to, I want to double your rent, you know, and wow. keep in mind, we were paying them probably about 3,600 bucks a month already. So that would go to 7,200 bucks a month. Uh, and this is back in 2004, uh, 2006, uh, and on top of that, we were already paying them like 50% of what we made off the bar. So I basically told him like, look, we, there's no way we can afford that. Uh, and he's like, well, then you got to get out. I'm like, okay, then I guess we're getting out. Uh, you know what I mean? It was right, you know, it was like right after MILF when I first got the news and, you know, we had probably about a four to six weeks to kind of shut the place down and, yeah, it was just really a matter of not being able to kind of sustain that rent. Uh, <clears throat> now, obviously, like, I mean, I, I had been approached by uh, by some folks about like, hey, what if we invested and, in, you know, the whole live at PJ's thing where we went for a year. Uh, honestly, I was just at a point in my life where I had kind of done it and I had this baby at home and I was having to get back to the real world. So it's like I probably could have continued it in some sort of format. I could have continued it with some sort of investment. But at that point I had kind of like, I'd been there, done that. And I was, you know, I considered it a mixed blessing that I, that I kind of got taken out right at the top. Yeah. I mean, at that point it'd probably be either, uh, it'd probably be time to start handing it off to like uh primary management or artistic director, uh, to help you, uh, take the bulk of the responsibilities anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can imagine getting it up and running for two years. Like that's that, those first couple of years for a business are the hardest to just like get everything up to, uh, to imagine like trying to start over with that at a new location or, or like uh rebound at a time when you have a kid. It's like, uh, yeah, it's unimaginable. Uh, of course. And it costs you way more to build out a space than you would think if you're going to do it right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it cost us probably yeah. about 50, $60,000 to build out the space. Wow. You know, when you got, when you're talking about, you know, uh, getting all the, you know, the barware and building the stage and getting the lights and getting the light system. I mean, when we went in there, the place had no light system. So we had to have electricians, all that stuff. So, yeah. And, and speaking of, uh, some of the build out and the equipment that you had, um, if I'm remembering correct, a lot of that stuff ended up being repurposed to go comedy, right? Yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. Cause, uh, you know, Gerald, uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us, uh, he had talked to me at one point about like, Hey, if you need investors, and I was like, eh, you know, uh, I, I, I hate working for other people. So I knew that wouldn't work. Uh, yeah. Even somebody as cool as Gerald. Uh, but you know, then PJ got in touch with me and he's like, Hey, we're thinking of starting a place. What do you think? And I'm like, yeah, that's fantastic. So we kind of sat down and talked and I was like, here's the stuff I've got, you know, I've got some lights. I've got this, you know, 
a bunch of equipment and he's like, yeah, we'll buy it. So, uh, honestly, I mean, I think I, there are times where it's like, that was very generous of those guys to buy all my shitty equipment. <laughs> they, they, re, they, on some level, they bailed me out there, you know? <laughs> Well, because it was things like the bar stools or some of the lighting tracks, and uh, I remember if I'm if I'm right about this, the, uh, the glasses, original Go the Comedy glassware? stand, yeah, yeah the uh, original podium, the original yeah, podium, yeah. which I think now they use for taking tickets. Hopefully, it's still over. Yes, there. that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's in the vestibule. Yeah, yeah. Vestibule. I got that when we did the original Damnation game in Chicago. I got that from a guy who had done a show with a preacher in it, and so if you look carefully at that stand, it actually does have a cross on the front. Uh, oh really? But then, yeah, but then I spray painted <laughs> it black, and that. you know, and then uh, when we were doing the show in Chicago, I hung the Damnation Game sign over the front of the cross. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for the longest time, like their bar stools, you know, their cash registers, their yeah. you know that stand, those were all Improv Inferno relics. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and very cool uh, that that um, carried over because I, I remember finding that out and just thinking it was it was cool to I just put myself in your shoes just to have a little piece of of the the place from the inferno um live on in another improv theater absolutely um, yeah it's yeah. very cool yeah I mean in a lot of ways like you could you could make the argument that go comedy was the best thing to come out of the improv inferno yeah I mean if if, if out of the improv inferno's closing certainly <laughs> yeah, yeah out of that at, okay. in the same yeah, yeah that's fair same time, uh, Second City going away um, with, you know, the final nail in the coffin for them, too, is like uh, it, it was the, the, the Inferno uh, talent and and your experience opening up a theater and even things like the equipment and the knickknacks that went there really fueled um, Go Comedy being able to, to launch in a successful way um, to the degree that it did. Yeah. Um, so. If we have you for a little bit more time here, Dan, uh, I would love to talk about your uh, a little bit more about your, your playing style, your philosophy style, and your directing style, um, because uh, the way that you and I met is that um, you had taken a break from improv for a while, and then um, I, I I can't remember what year it was, maybe uh, 2000, uh, 2000, 14? Yeah, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Um, but uh, you approached PJ about directing a show at Go Comedy, and that show ended up being uh, called The Cowards. And I uh, was lucky enough to be part of that cast. Um, and that, that show really came for me at a time when I was maybe like uh, three or four years into improvising, and um, which is really excitable. Uh, and... The, the the coward's experience for me will like kind of took me to a, a next level of challenge and um, possibilities, uh, which was really cool. So I was I was kind of curious if, if I might be able to pick your brain about what you had in mind with the cowards and how it relates to your general philosophy um, as a director and uh, artistic mind. Yeah, uh, you know one of the one of the bad habits I have as a director is I'll I'll get half an idea for a show in my head and then. You know, like I'll keep that idea floating around in the back of my head and like, OK, if this if this fits, you know, maybe it'll work. Uh, and, and so one of the things I wanted to achieve with the cowards just from a, you know, a back of the head idea kind of thing was to really kind of show the audience like how we were incorporating suggestions to kind of like underline that a little bit more. 
you know, so to be able to do a long form show where you take a bunch of suggestions right up front and then just do the long form show. And then we, you know, we had that, that whiteboard that we used to write down the suggestions so people could see like, yeah. Oh yeah, somebody did say the, Apple the way at the start head. of the show. Yeah. And you know, uh, so, I mean, that was like a half-baked idea I had. That, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, we got to go do this. But it was like, once I started working with the cast, I was like, okay, these guys are flexible enough. These guys are adept enough. These folks can kind of run fast enough and play hard enough uh, that we can do this kind of format where they're grabbing stuff on the fly and where, to a certain extent, and, you know, we really got into this during the later part of the run with the cowards, uh, my goal was always for you guys to be challenging each other and pushing each other. Uh, yeah, you know, when PJ, you know, PJ approached me about like, Hey, I'd love to have you come back and, you know, teach. And I was like, eh, you know, and I, d- I did teach for a little bit. And, uh, honestly, like, it's like having done it myself, having owned the place myself, like, like everything else, I don't want to say is a, it, it just doesn't feel like a step forward. It feels like me trying to recapture lost glory. Sure. Uh, and I've seen way too many of those improv guys in their 50s getting drunk and trying to pick up the improv students in their 20s. Yeah. And I never yeah. wanted to be that guy. <laughs> and so, like, that's kind of why I was like, yeah, I came back to the cowards and then I kind of faded out again. Uh, but, yeah, I just really, you know, you guys were a great you had great energy. And I just wanted to kind of show you guys what you were capable of. Uh, and so really, when I come into a directing process, my goal is, all right. How can I make these folks better? And that's a terrible way of putting it. Uh, because that's, that's a great make, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, that's an amazing thing to, to want out of your. Well, it's, uh, yeah, but it, considering what the opposite could be, yeah. <laughs> I guess my my point is is like it it puts too much agency on me. Like I I'm I'm illuminating a path for the people. I'm trying to guide them to getting better. It's not like I can I can make them better. You know. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, because I'm a pretty straightforward kind of guy, but I'm also not like I've got the good combination of like being perceived as an asshole and also super nice, you know, (laughs) so uh, I can bluntly tell you like, yeah, that was a that was a weird choice. And that was bizarre when you bailed on that scene. Uh, But at the same time, I can also kind of perk you up and make you feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Like so, nobody ever feels too negative with the criticism. People feel like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I've got the I've got the hook to push forward, you know. Well, you used the uh, the word integrity a few times during this conversation, and that's I think that's why your notes work so well. They may be blunt, but you are always not not always blunt, but you're always honest. So that you have the integrity of like this is not this is coming from a good place. I'm just telling you what I see. Please take the note, you know. So I, yeah. I think that's what we all, that's why it's so easy to take, even if it hurts, the note. <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the things I picked up from from Mick Napier and his approach to directing. Uh, and he really did, you know, when he directed a lot of the Second City Main Stage shows, his goal, he said, he went into the start and he said, you know, our goal is not to have fun during this rehearsal process. Our goal is for you guys to have the best possible opening night. Uh and I thought that was pretty cool, and that stuck with me. Uh, I tend to err on the side of fun, so I, I, I'm not as good at it as Mick is uh, in terms of, like, you know, just grinding it out. Uh, but it really is about, you know, when I approach any show, I'm like, okay, where are the where are the gems in these people that I can point out to them and get them kind of polished up? 
you know, what are the things that they do well that if they realize they do well, they, they could bring to the surface. Cause I think once you have improvisers have been doing it for a while, they find the stuff that works and they stick with the stuff that works. Uh, but th that may not be the stuff that's working the best. That may not be the stuff that gives them the maximum flexibility and freedom. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, like, even when I was working with Tim, I was able to kind of like point out a couple things where it's like, hey, you know, you're making this move a lot as kind of a secondary move. And that really should be your primary move. You know, like you're getting into the scene and this other thing is coming up for you. You know, you're kind of introducing this new energy. But like, what if you move that to the start of the scene? You know? What if the oh, thing that you yeah. think is worthless that you're just kind of burying in as an extra little trick is actually your thing, you know? Yeah. And so when you're when you're directing versus teaching, you're you're kind of like, um, well, I don't know how much of a difference is there for you when when you're teaching versus directing? Because I because I feel like uh, for what you're talking about with Tim or or the work you were doing with the cowards that. Uh, there, there's a little bit more of a challenge element um, as much as it is still about like finding what you're doing well and, and what you see happening and, and still wanting to like nourish that. Um, I feel like uh, the, the notes that I know that I've gotten from you or that uh, I remember being in, in the cowards um, are different from the notes that I remember students who, when you were teaching for a little bit, would uh, tell me about, about getting and they, uh, there's just a, a different hue to them. And I, I'm curious for, for you, if, what kind of like how you distinguish between teaching and directing. So when somebody comes and says, teach me something, it, it it's kind of, you're given kind of a sacred honor at that point that someone is saying, Hey, I want to learn this. And so your job as a teacher is to give, is to do your best to teach them that, to help them learn it, you know, uh, and so you, there's much more gentleness. There's much more kind of pulling people forward. And it's also, I never think of, I, I never think of uh, classes in terms of uh, performance quality. Uh, it's more just kind of like polishing those particular skills uh, so that it can eventually get to a performance quality if that's where the student wants to go with it. But, you know, you, you, in a, in a class, you're kind of incur, you're, you're, you're very positive about anything good that happens, you know, and you're trying to raise all the boats together. You know, you're trying to make sure everybody in class is having a good moment each day and moving forward uh, with a director role. When someone says, Hey, I want you to direct my show. Or I say to somebody, Hey, I want you to be in my show. Then really what we're saying is uh, we want to create something together that is performance worthy. We want to create something together that is worth charging an audience for, uh, and I think that, like, honestly, when you charge somebody for something, you owe it to them to give them the best damn show you can. Uh, I have seen some shitty improv shows, and they are shitty because they're lazy. I don't care if you're talented or not, yeah. but you better be doing your absolute best because that son of a bitch just gave you five bucks to see your show, right? Uh, and yeah. so when we get into a directing process, that's what I'm more like. It's like, how are we going to create something that we're going to be very proud of when it opens? And so there I'll be much more direct, blunt, and and... Whereas in a class, I'm trying to teach everybody a certain skill, you know, in any particular session, you know, two or three skills I might be trying to teach them. Uh, when you get into director mode, it's like, okay, let's work on this particular part of the show again and again. Let's work on our transitions again and again. Or I notice that a couple people are struggling with a certain thing. And so I'm going to come up with an exercise on the spot or pull one from my memory to kind of like attack that thing. So... You know, with a with a class, you've got certain places you want them to get to, 
And with a show, you've got one place you want to get want them to get to, like which is an gotcha. awesome opening night. Yeah, and I remember you saying that uh, the the my goal is for you to have a kick ass opening night, and um, it was very fun the stuff we were doing, but it always felt very uh, on schedule. And I remember we were rehearsing on, I want to, uh, it was definitely th- it was definitely Thursday nights at ten p.m. Um, and I because I also remember you saying that the reason. You know, you had to work rehearsals around classes, which end at 10. And the reason you chose uh, Thursdays is because being a 10 p.m. rehearsal, you can phone in a Friday. It's harder to phone in a a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Right. (laughs) You're going to be out that late doing it. But um, the the rehearsals always started right on time. At 10 o'clock, you'd shut the door and... uh, sometimes without even just being like, how's everybody doing? You just be like, all right, so today, you know, this is what we're working on. And, uh, we would get up and do it. And, it, and, um, you know, it, that's a group of eight people and it was, um, it's, it's hard to get people to commit and, uh, be there on time and, and be there in full attendance. And I think that, uh, your, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, strictness with, um, starting on time and, and, keeping a plan and being prepared with everything made us want to commit more uh, as well. Um, Yeah. If you really commit, it's important that you as a director commit to the overall process so that you get your actors committing to the overall process, you know? Uh, Yeah. Because if you're phoning in rehearsals, they will phone in rehearsals. Yeah. You set the bar. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and another thing I really loved about the the process was that uh, by the time we were ready to do the show, we were talking about like uh, a tire, and you were saying where if if you were a rock star in your own right, whatever that means to you, you are a, a celebrity level level rocker. Uh, how would you dress? But casually, <laughs> like, right. like you're, you're a rock star, but what's your casual dress? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So you look cool uh, and put together, but, um, you know, it's still a little more relaxed than than a formal event, you know? And I right. thought that you're was not, so cool. You're not wearing your kiss makeup. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. I, I just thought it was I really felt an- like, and, and part of the reason for that with regard to the cowards in particular was... Uh, I really wanted you guys to realize how much you were the rock stars of Go Comedy uh, at that time. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are new rock stars there now. Uh, and some rock stars never fade. Uh, Travis and Joe, <laughs> be there forever. Uh, Absolutely. But, you know, I just really wanted you guys to experience what that was like to elevate yourself and to make the choice to elevate yourself and almost to make the choice to elevate yourself as a person, not just as a performer. So it's like, you guys are awesome. This is your chance to go out and do an awesome show. Dress in the way that you would choose to dress if you had freedom. You know, if you had that kind of freedom that a rock star has. You know, that kind of, you know, in-your-face ballsiness of rock stars. You know, like, yeah, I put on my mom's dress and a pair of flip-flops, and I'm ready to rock and roll. Like, okay, cool. You know, like, you know, there's an elevation that happens there when when it becomes a choice. Yeah, and and it made me... uh, one I, as a, a, a smaller thing, it's it's like it gives um, an aesthetic to the show um, that isn't overwhelming or shticky, uh, but gets people having a vibe um, without demanding too much. But and and I thought it was just a really nice balanced way to do that. Um, but then yeah, on that like deeper level, it, it was it made me think like like. Uh, how do I want to present myself? Like who, what is, what is cool for me 
and how do if I can express that, what is my who am I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but, but it was also, it wasn't like, you also didn't like uh, make it this um, heavy, deep um, thing. You just kind of like, it's this little thing that you get to choose and it is freedom and it's about aesthetic and uh, being a, a performer. And um, it totally made me look at, at like how I'm presenting myself on stage and what my personal aesthetic is as opposed to like what I'm supposed to wear for any given show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think people think enough about that. Uh in terms of just like, how do you want to present yourself on stage? I, I don't think people think enough about it in terms of life. Uh, but then, I mean, you could tell I'm sitting here with a bow tie on. I'm, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a big believer in <laughs> costumes, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, so when I was in Chicago doing everything, like, and even when I first moved here with the Inferno, like, I was the guy wearing all those crazy party shirts with fire on them. You know what I mean? I look like Guy Fieri, uh, you know, which was yeah. cool for a smidge of time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, but again, I was trying to like, <clears throat> there was this guy in Chicago who was a known improviser and he wasn't necessarily that great, but he, he did get a lot of parts and TV and that kind of stuff. And his name was Monty, M-O-N-T-E, okay. big, bald, heavy guy. Uh, and he wore shorts all the time. He was one of those heavy guys who wear shorts all the time. And so he, his uniform was a pair of black shorts and a t-shirt that said Montyism on it. So like, it looked like monotheism, but it was Montyism. Uh, and Monty had those shirts and that was his, that was his uniform. And he became a character like to the point where people recognized him. Uh, you know, and I think to a certain extent, it's like, all right, I need to like, if you're going to cultivate an image, if you're going to be on stage a lot, you need to kind of cultivate that like image of like, here's, you know, here's the accelerated version of myself. Here's the outgoing version of myself. You know, here's the part of me that's not ashamed to get up on stage and be an idiot. You know, yeah, yeah. Embracing it's that that because uh, we you were always talking about the uh, there's a lot of negatives associated with appearance obsession, but there's a lot of really positive things that that uh, can be thrown to the wayside if we don't think about it at all. Um, and so, yeah, putting that positive quality on how you're presenting yourself um, was very cool. I appreciated it. Yeah. Well, yeah, in a world where there's so many things out of your control that, that beats you up. Like this is one thing you absolutely, no one can tell you what to do. Like just dressing yourself, something that simple and taking pride in that. It's got to give a, give you a little boost. Yeah. 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 And, um, so, you know, uh, 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 last thing before we wrap up is just to kind of paint a picture of what the show was, uh, for those other aesthetic elements, um, is that, uh, we, it was an hour long show and uh yeah you brought in these uh uh what what do you call it like a it's it's whiteboard um the fat like head? sticker paper yeah yeah it's basically fat it's a sticker whiteboard it's a stick up and removable whiteboard uh, yeah and and so you brought in a couple rolls of it and we would roll it up on the walls on either side of the uh, archway on the go stage and uh take suggestions from the audience and write them up there um kind of gym game style but uh just any suggestions as opposed to having like quadrant quadrants um and um then uh showed start or throughout the whole show all the suggestions are up there and um uh, like you said, it's it's about showing the audience or uh, lightly reminding them um, that like, hey, remember 
we're deep into the show, but like you can kind of scan the board and be like, oh yeah, shit, this is what this one's about the gazelle. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and then um, uh, you also had us do these uh, edits, which were uh, overlap edits, where whatever scene was on stage. Um, oh, instead, sorry, real quick, instead of having a backline or, or sidelines on stage, the uh, cast that wasn't in a scene would be out in the house, uh, in the back of the house, hanging out. Uh, in the in the house of the theater, and then if you wanted to initiate a scene, you would instead of making a hard edit, make an overlap edit where two improvisers would make their way up to the stage and start their scene, while the scene on stage kept going, and then the two scenes would be on stage at the same time until the uh, oldest one would find its conclusion and then fade off, and then this next scene would be. Um, the only scene on stage, the new scene on stage. So th those are those are really cool aesthetics, and I, uh, uh, I just want to maybe get your thoughts on on how you think about using those types of um, elements in a show to kind of uh, dress it up or f fill it out more as a, especially for an hour long feature. Yeah, I think you know what I've seen a lot of shows you know degrade themselves into or uh, decay into is really what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, are just kind of like, we're just, you know, they be, it becomes a jam. It becomes a fuck around. It becomes a set as we sometimes call it. Like, yeah, hey, we're just going to do a set. Uh, but really like, you know, the thing I, the thing that bothered me about the improv Olympic philosophy is like, they think everything's a herald, you know, uh, you know, everything is this one structure and anything that has structure is just derivative of their one structure. Uh, I don't, I mean, I believe structure has been kind of inherent in dramatic forms since like the Greeks. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it's, you're not really inventing too much there. Uh, but what you really like in order to have a form, you just have to have a, an agreed upon set of rules. Like here are, here are things that are legit to do. And here are things that are not legit to do. And most of those things when it comes to forms are the things about transitions uh, placement of other people on stage, that kind of stuff. So, like, we agree, here's how we're going to edit scenes. We agree, here's how we're going to position ourselves. You know, if you build your form around those types of structures, uh, you can end up with a really cool form uh, that, it, you know, that ultimately has some kind of, like, uniqueness to it. Uh, you know, what I was really trying to achieve with those overlap edits were a couple things. Uh one, I just wanted to kind of see that extra acceleration of energy into a scene. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and frankly, for a long time, like when it just comes to scenes in general, I, you know, I'm just obsessed with this idea of everything taking place contemporaneously, very close in time to each other. Uh, you know, very much like the movie Slacker, like the Jim Jarmusch movies where it's like you just follow, mm -hmm. you know, you follow, a, a, you're not following any person down a street. You're just walking down a street and you're hearing this story. Then you're hearing that story. Then you're hearing this story, you know, yeah. uh, because in the hands of good improvisers, that type of stuff, all of a sudden themes start to emerge and then the show develops like this real universality about it, you know? So, yeah. Uh, and I think we were pretty successful with that. I mean, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, f I feel like uh, it was definitely a territory for us to, to grow and develop in, but I think that that made uh, – it, it yielded really great things in the shows. And, um, again, I think – I think uh, speak for myself, but I, but I have to imagine that everybody involved in that show uh, took away a lot of things that resonated with them for um, their ongoing 
development. So, because uh, th- what you're talking about, that universi- universality um, and things like Slacker and where themes come from in form um, and how form can um, be used to, to have uh, th- this greater uh, purpose or picture for a show, um, that is definitely something that, that I have carried from that type of process and put into the shows that I've worked on since then um, and aimed at, aimed to, aimed to achieve that, those same goals. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's a, that's a great point to um, end it on. And uh, I think I made a great point there. So uh, I do say uh, so myself, <laughs> James, me and Dan, we're so happy to have you on our show. Uh, <laughs> so James, well, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they reach out to? What, what, I mean, what, I, plug. what I mean to say is that uh, that's I think that's a great sentiment to end on, which is uh, yeah. that that the Inferno and your uh, presence in the in the improv community um, has carried on uh, in, in in really fantastic ways. And uh, I know that um, I always bring you up as, a, you know, a reference point for a lot of the things that I'm working on. So um I thank you for sharing the story about the Inferno. Uh, and I uh, know that if I were somebody at, at this time coming up in the last couple of years and kind of wondering about the history of uh, the community that I'm in, that this would be really, really exciting for me to, to, to learn about. And uh, I don't think that we incorporate it into the uh, sometimes it gets lost in the cracks um, of Metro Detroit improv history. So really cool of you to take the time and share and uh, as well as your philosophy and everything. You, Dan, as our guest, what, where, where can people uh, find the things that you're doing um, and what any, any kind of plugs you want to put out there? Yeah, you know, I like really the best place to track me down is on Facebook. Uh, you know, I've got a really public feed. Uh, what I'm doing right now is uh, I'm a real estate agent, you know, uh, so anybody in Metro Detroit who's looking for a house, please give me a call. I'm actually working with like a half a dozen improvisers right now, so that's pretty wild. Uh, it's wild to think of improvisers owning property, really, yeah. is, what, yeah. is what the wild part is. Uh, we used to just own one property and all stayed there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the one house with six rooms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, really, like, uh, you know, I, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, I, I, I love helping people. Uh, you know, so certainly if anybody has any questions, you can reach out to me, dan at danizzo.com, or like I said, I'm, uh, you can find me on Facebook. It's I think I'm danizzo1 on Facebook, like facebook.com slash danizzo1. This is a second danizzo? Uh, yeah. That, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> All right. Well, well awesome. Um, thanks again, Dan. Uh, really, really great so to check in with you. I'm glad you're doing you, well. You. Yeah. It was good seeing you guys, too. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. You, uh, we'll catch you next time on Improv FAQ at length. <laughs>